Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Fun. It's rolling. All right. Uh, hey, everyone. This is C.T. Salazar. I'm a poet, writer, and librarian. We're in Columbus, Mississippi. All right. So this poem is called... Uh, my father in the ICU. He says the IV needle is long, like a dragonfly with torn off wings. What would you call this? Not the dragonfly, but the way I didn't realize I'd be strong enough to lift his gray body, his hair flat from sweat, his arm outstretched like Adam, exiled from the Sistine Chapel, Adam with the bad gallbladder and IV dripping morphine. I would call this acceptance of defeat and I would call the skin under his eyes the grave where his pride is buried I wake up and he is a cloud floating above the bed I rub my eyes until he's a man again saying my shoes need a good polishing and that he'd do that for me when he gets out of this place where his body is as messy as his handwriting he is a bear they cannot manage he is a handful he is an ark full surgeons removed a glassy-eyed fish choking on a rosary bead Yes, he is a bear, rubbing smooth my heart walls as he lumbers back and forth from consciousness. I rub my eyes with hands the color of burnt clay pots. I make a jar with them. I tell him, look, Daddy, even your grief is not too heavy for me to hold. Nice. Thank you, man. Yeah, so welcome you to Porch Talk. As CT mentioned, we are in Columbus, Mississippi. We are just across the street from uh, the Sunstroke House, if you're familiar with that location, a <laughs> uh, big part of the show. Just tell, tell me a little bit about the, the rhino here. Uh, is this a collaboration, a compilation of different poets? Oh, yeah. So um, rhino is based out of Chicago, actually, and it's um, their goal is they publish, like, this giant thick book every year, and their, like, their main goal is they want to publish, like, the best poems from across the nation uh, at the end of every year. So uh, tons of writers submit to them, and I was uh, incredibly fortunate to be in the, the 2019 edition of it. Great, man. Yeah. Cool. So tell me a little bit about the uh, the poem, My Father in the ICU is yeah. very real thing. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, it's... Um, it's inspired on the worst Christmas Eve in my life so far because uh, my dad suddenly had a uh, an incredible need to go to the ER in the middle of festivities, and we ended up spending the night because uh, 
they said that he his gallbladder was in danger, and then uh, what what was going to be a routine surgery turned out to be way more rough than they thought. So it was uh, it was just a harsh night of uh, like being by his bedside and trying to deal with not getting any sleep, but then also like seeing the the strongest man in your life being weak is a, a moment that deserved a, a, a poem that I think I tried to write for about a year before it was really ready. <laughs> Yeah, man. Um, we'll talk about processes in a while. Tell me a little bit about the, the upbringing. Just uh, how did you find your passion for reading and writing? And was it in the home, or did it happen at school, or what did that look like? Uh, so I'm actually um, compared to a lot of writers that I know and that I'm friends with. I actually came to writing pretty late, like. Um, a lot of the writers I admire have been writing since they were like really small children, but I actually, um, I really didn't start writing until college. So, but I, I've always loved reading and I grew up around reading because like my dad is a huge history buff. So I grew up with tons of history books in the house and I grew up around adults constantly reading. And I, I liked reading in school too, but I never really explored writing until community college. Okay. Was that just like through having to write a paper, or what, what did that look like? Uh, so I was in an American Lit class, and my teacher um, just kind of off the bat told me like, you know, you're you're you you're a good writer. You should try uh, taking you know the creative writing class. And I didn't know that that was like a class you could take in college. So yeah, <laughs> I'd never had a creative writing class in like high school or anything. So I didn't know that like you could go to college and write poetry for college credits. Yeah. So then, because I, I was there for something completely different, I was going through like the EMT program, so I wasn't, I wasn't there to, uh, be inspired and try writing. But yeah, then I, I took the creative writing class and like loved it immediately. And then it, pretty much from there forward, I was like, this is what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, cool man. And so like just growing up with uh with the the history buffs surrounding you, um, was it all history books or like what what was some of the literature? Oh, so the very westerny. Like my dad is a huge Louis L'Amour fan. Okay. So I grew up with lots of uh, westerns and, um, you know, the the history biographies. Like my dad's a huge, uh, like Civil War fan, American Revolutionary War fan. So all the all the biographies you can think of, and then like, um, of course the the one book that every Southern household has, the King James Bible. Like I, I grew up with that, and I. Like that that singular book is probably in everything I write, just mm-hmm. because it's always been in a part of my life. So that language is part of how I think. Yeah, yeah. I got a. Uh, are we talking like the sixteen eleven, like that old? Not not that one, but like the the the, the more like, modern. Yeah, the Southern Baptist King James. You know the yeah <laughs> the one where they're like, this is the first one. Yeah, it's not, but they yeah that's the one they go by. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is, this is the one we trust. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I get you, man. Um, yeah, just uh, I, I like the Bible myself, and when you made mention of Adam and uh, oh, yeah. Sixteen Chapel, I mean, I have that picture hanging on my wall. Oh, sweet! Yeah, <laughs> cool. And so, like, it's, it's it's a real thing to me. It's like mm-hmm. I think about that all the time with the fall and the idea of it. For sure. And then you know, talking about the strongest man in your life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. what a what a parallel and it's it's all tangled up to me too like I can't uh, I don't think I can make myself like sit down and write a poem where it's like you're going to write a poem now where your family doesn't show up and you never mention the bible or anyone in it 
Like, I don't think I it's, can. It's not possible. Because <laughs> it's just so much of, like, how I think initially. And that, that's my impulse is always containing those things. Yeah. And so just, just from community college and getting into that creative writing, what did that look like um, from there? Yeah, okay. So um, I was the first things I was writing was uh, understandably not good writing, like creatively. And it's it's funny to like look back on it and be like, wow, I thought I was writing good stuff, and that's cute. Uh, <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> but uh, but I had some I had some really great teachers that were like, if you keep doing this, like you could you could really do something neat. Um, and like so, I just I took the I took all of the literature courses that EMCC offered. So I took creative writing one and two. I took American Lit one and two, and British Lit one and two. And then I um, I came to the W just to kind of see, like, what I could do. I never really went into college with a lot of plans. Like, I, I grew up in Caledonia, mm-hmm. and it was just an understanding that when I graduated high school, I'd probably go to EMCC and then probably go to the W. Yeah. So um, actually finding something that I was excited about was not anything that I thought I would ever do. Like, I... I, I didn't enjoy high school, really, just because it was high school. I felt like I had to be there. And I, I thought I would feel the same way about everything after that. It's just something I have to do. But then I actually, you know, like, going to those courses and saying, like, you know, I love doing this. And mm-hmm. you start writing things, and then you stay up all night because you're trying to, like, find the right word or, like, what is the, what's not working with this line. And then you realize, like, this is... This isn't just a dumb assignment anymore. <laughs> this is something I legitimately care about. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not something I wrote down. Yeah, <laughs> it, It's kind of the same thing uh, for me growing up. I went to South Lamar, and the thing that we did when we graduated was go to Bevel State. Hmm. Or some of us would go to yeah, Shelton yeah. State yeah, in yeah. Tuscaloosa. And both of my best friends, they were older. They both went to Shelton. And the day the day after I graduated, I had, uh, I had packed a duffel bag. And uh, I lived with my grandparents at the time. And I was loading up, and I was going to go down to Mobile. I couldn't tell you why I'm Mobile. Yeah. I just, that's where I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah. And my grandma caught me, you know, as I was, what are you doing? I'm getting out of here. Well, I thought she was going to go to college, no. I was, same with you. I didn't enjoy high school. I don't think yeah, I'm yeah. going to enjoy this. I don't want this. What's down there? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I just want to see. And uh, ended up, she taught me into going to college. And I remember walking the halls and just trying to find some kind of program or something that sparked my attention. I remember, like, looking through the windows yeah, yeah. and just, does this interest me? No? Next sure. window. So I, I totally get that, man. Um, so after uh, after college and as you got to writing, uh, I mean, like, with these books, I, how, how does this... How does this happen? Is like it's just submitted to the Rhino or these different yeah, publications, so or what does that look like? It's a, it's the publishing is is very weird just in general because um, I know a lot of people try to normalize it and be like, yeah, when you're a writer, you publish your writing, and this is this is what we do because we're writers, and uh, I would try to be more transparent and honest about how odd the whole process is. Yeah, because uh, like I don't. I don't know that anyone writes publicly. Like, writing is a very solitary type thing. And then the world of publishing and, like, realizing that a lot of people are reading your writing is the exact opposite of private. So, 
going from that mode to trying to push it into the world, you you look for all the different literary magazines that you like. There's all these different aesthetics. There's crazy stuff out there. And um, you continuously submit your writing. You get rejected a lot. That's uh, Like, if I checked my phone right now, I would have emails that said, like, oh, thanks for submitting your work. We didn't like it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, like, it, it's a continuous process of... Uh, you know, because editors, they don't have any idea really who you are. Yeah. They open their email, and there's three poems from you who they've never met and may never meet. They have zero context as to what these poems are trying to do or say. They read them, and then on the very slim chance that they say, this is this is great, we're going to publish it, then they publish it, and then you do that enough, and then you start thinking towards, like, if I were to make my own book, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. And then, in a way, you kind of start over. Like, when you get two or three poems published, I think editors and other writers start taking you a little bit more seriously and say, like, okay, they've got, like, like skin in the game. Mm-hmm. They're trying to prove that they belong in this situation, in this community, and that they can do something. And then when you have enough of those published where people will say, like, okay, you're an emerging writer. Mm-hmm. Like, then you say... Well, I want to try and publish a book now, and you start over at the very bottom because now you you haven't published any books, so you, now you're sending an entire book of poems to editors, and they look at you and say like they this would be their first book, and then they look at it and you know it's it's a usually a contest situation where they read 300 books in a day from some of these people, mm-hmm. from other writers that are all writing great work too, and that's another interestingly. Uh, competitive but also lovely thing is that there are millions of writers all writing outstanding stuff so understandably you don't get picked on a lot of stuff you get rejected and it's just a very 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 slow process that involves a lot of patience (laughs) and patience is not something I was born with so it's been a good practice yeah yeah (laughs) so uh, I don't know if you you know the number Um, how many poems and just like to talk a little bit about your work yeah okay uh books and poems i don't know if you could throw the number like how much have you written oh wow um i know that of what i've published i've published probably around 30 like individual poems at literary sites Mm -hmm. and then i've got uh so this very small book came out in 2019 and it's you know it's incredibly tiny but um it's one of my favorite things I've ever made, and that, that's ten poems, um, and I've I've signed contracts for two other books to come out in the future from different presses now, so I'm I'm trying. I uh, <laughs> I don't think there's any like right way or wrong way to go about it. Yeah, it's just that I I enjoy writing, and I'm trying to find my best way, my best outlet to to get my writing like out into the world and to find communities that think like me or feel like me and yeah yeah just connect basically yeah oh uh, right there um i want to talk about this might meant fire yeah but uh just just with our community here in columbus of you know three sisters uh, i remember yeah, yeah. back for covid you know we would have uh spoken word or you know we would have yeah, these yeah, poetry yeah. nights same with the what was the other coffee shop that did like a trivia and would also do a, oh. a sharing right there on main right i think it's beans and cream they did like an open mic for yeah. a while yeah and so uh 
But what are, what are those nights look like? I know you you've hosted and been a part of some of those nights. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's to me that stuff like those situations are way better than anything else that comes out of this type of art. Um, you know, it feels great to publish a poem. It feels great to get messages from strangers that say, "Dude, I've been reading your writing and it's I love it." But it's there's something just completely like groundbreaking about seeing people in person that are being vulnerable in ways that could really put them at risk, mm-hmm. and like that type of connection that I I really think you can only have with that type of vulnerability that comes with like music or poetry. Yeah. Um, and it's it's awesome just because there's it's such a connection that we as people may not have anything else in common but for like a few seconds mm-hmm. we can all like nod our heads to someone just saying something incredible and then may never see that person again <laughs> yeah true yeah uh yeah the the commonality between uh poetry and music uh to me is uh you can't you can't separate the two to me. Uh, the only oh, difference damn. is like music. Like there's music involved. Like songwriting yeah. to me yeah, yeah, yeah. is just poetry. Oh, for sure. With, with music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, I mean, there's some songwriters like um, I don't know, like Tallest Man on Earth. I don't know if you listen to his. Oh stuff. yeah, I do. Uh, and some of Iron and Wine's work too. Sam Beam. Like mm-hmm. just reading their lyrics, the the amount of attention to the language. I like what a uh, Sam Beam uh, said. Um, I can't remember the title of the song at the moment, but uh, it made mention of the lion and the lamb over and over. Oh, yeah, and Big he, Burned Hand. Yeah, yeah Big yeah. Burned Hand, that's it. And <laughs> they, they asked him, it was like, so why the F word? He was like, well, there was, I don't cuss lightly, yeah. but you have to understand, like, there was no other way for me to say it. Yeah, yeah, He yeah. said, I tried it. I, saw, I, tr- <laughs> I tried screw it in the back, uh-huh. you know, but it, it, didn't, it didn't come across. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, that that relationship is... uh, I I think it's full of wonder in a lot of ways, just because, like... I think in a a lot of situations, poetry fails in that you have to assume a lot about the people around you. So, like, if I write a poem in English, I have to assume that the people I'm reading it to speak or understand English to Mm -hmm. a decent extent. But, I mean, like, music transcends so much about language because it's been around way longer than language. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it's going to, like, it has no issue with those barriers. Yeah. And that's, like, there's something for me that's just really calming, thinking about the fact that that we had music way before we had language. And if we ever, for any reason, lose language, we'll be fine because we have music. Yeah. yeah. I think about it, like, with just Mississippi and the... Uh the history of the blues and like mm-hmm. how it used to be just field hollers yeah. and we, we could go you know late 1800s mm-hmm. and then early 1900s uh here come a blues guitar here come a slide <laughs> here come a harmonica <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and those things is like now we don't even really know who wrote them for sure and they're just uh they're public forum anybody can play them but yeah. the the power is still there yeah and it's it's like our cultural dna is constantly being woven in ways that we could we can parse it out and identify it like you know we know the banjo came from the continent of africa Mm -hmm. so we know how the banjo got to mississippi 
but now we don't associate the banjo specifically with like slavery in the south we associate the banjo with bluegrass because that's our context mm-hmm. and it's like it's become this incredibly tangled up thing that's just ongoing we're constantly yeah. making it more absolutely and so this might have meant fire tell me a little bit about this uh, this work um, yeah. um, like when you were sitting down to write it um like with poetry, I'm assuming it would be almost like an album. Like mm-hmm. uh, you have a a set mindset for mm-hmm. what I'm trying to accomplish with for this sure. work. Uh, so about some of the literature in it, if you want to share one also. Yeah, um, yeah, I can do that. Um, a little bit about the book and the process too. Um, so you can tell that it's a small book. This book is only 10 poems. And when I submitted it to the editor at Bull City Press, he read it and he called me a few months later and said like I I love this I love this manuscript but I want to propose something and I don't know if you'll be on board with it or not and I I was just happy that he was calling me like I was happy to be talking to the editor of Bull City Press (laughs) so I was like what what do you need (laughs) I'll do anything but uh, (laughs) at the time the manuscript was actually 20 poems and he said I want to cut it in half Mm -hmm. I want to make this a much smaller book because something is working in the very smallness of it that I think we need to uh, emphasize more. So that was kind of, that was odd for me because at first I was like, you know, like a 20-point book is already small, so you want to make it a 10-point. But uh, the more he showed me, like, what he was thinking and what we would be excluding and what we would be bringing in, I'd, he's a genius. I mean, he's, like, these editors, they have a type of imagination that's just beyond what I can do. Like mm-hmm. I, I can read someone's book and say, like, this is a great book, and then mislead them because they'll send it to an editor, and the editor will be like, there's a lot of problems with this. Yeah. <laughs> they can they see things that I, I, I don't have the capability of imagining. Yeah. it's I guess it would be, once again, going back to music, it would be like the songwriter going to the studio and having sure. these producers look over his work and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got some work to do. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> they, they probably hear what he's trying to do or yeah. they they assume they they understand right like and they, then they was like this is what could happen yeah they see that potential yeah <laughs> but yeah I'll, re- I'll read one uh from this so this book is um very much about uh mississippi in a lot of um ways of just trying to trying to reconcile being a 21st century person alive and conscious in mississippi mm-hmm. which has you know, so many... Um, connotations. Connot- yeah, connotations. Um, so, so much of living here is about the past. Like, even though we live in the present, there's so many indicators all around us of the past, whether it's, like, you know, barns that were built in the 1800s that are still standing at the highway. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. That. So just trying to imagine and bring in everything. And if I, if I could describe where I live to someone that has never been here and maybe has no desire to come here. Like, what what do these poems bring to the table? Mm-hmm. So this is, um... This poem is called Poem Ending with Abraham's Suffering Plus an Ode. I said I wanted to change my name to Hallelujah so everyone who climbed a mountain would yell my name to clouds they'd finally seen the top of. Kiss me, Hallelujah. Tonight... 
No one said my name, though the moon encrusted a white halo on the graciously indigo sky. Some nights the sky is everything it wants, and not just a wall for our fathers to nail prayers against. Let the starlight harden to keys in your hands. Let the stars light you lovely despite your father's resemblance. Tonight, I want to rename mountains, not after the people who climbed them, but their reasons why. I could say I wanted to quit, but I was halfway up mount. I could never forgive myself if I gave up now. Monarch butterflies, in their migration, still curve around a mountain flattened hundreds of centuries ago. If I could name them anything, I'd call them the ideal shape of faith, even when the rain softens them to nothing. When the rain gave me its thousand names, I felt every drop soft as the lips of my mother, who can saint even the darkest cloud until we praise it for being the mother of something. Rain, the shape least like the mountain, shape of submission to gravity. So Isaac asks, Daddy, where are we going? And Abraham's face is sunken. Abraham says, we're going to the top of, I will never ask anything from God again. A knife in his tunic. The mountain's so sharp, it cuts open the belly of the morning, letting sunlight spill on the lips of Abraham, who has just lifted his face to keep from crying. Ode. The barns of my childhood are forgetting their shape, aging like my father with what the years have done to his hair. They could be little churches if they had better windows, or if anyone ever prayed in them. Name one barn Abraham and one barn Isaac and watch them sink into each other. Watch them crumble under the heel of heaven. Little dilapidations, time does this to us. Comes in the form of wind to run its fingers through our hair so softly we don't notice our hair blowing away. Unbuttons our shirts and folds them neatly on the bed. I am trying, I think, to forgive myself. Now my parents are older. Now all the barns are eating themselves like sad stars God gave up on, living out the rest of their lives in some quiet pasture, sobbing where no one will hear them, hungry still for my name written in dust. If I leave you, if I am not awake when you succumb finally to the weight of yourself, it is not because I don't love you. All my childhood I've watched how your standing becomes settling. For every inch you sink in the earth, for every nail and horseshoe turned artifact, there is in me iron, tin, and everything else that both resists and promises the same gentle collapse. It's heavy, man. Yeah. I, 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 like, I like what you, you know, like what you would name a mountain and rename it after the idea of yeah, why yeah. it was climbed. And then Abraham and Isaac, the, the mount of. I'm never asking God for anything again. Yeah, that that poem took a lot of um, a lot of work. Like that that one, I think that's one of my favorite my favorites in that tiny book. Is just because I I knew what I wanted to say for so long, but I didn't know how to make all the connections. Yeah, and then it's it's one of the longer poems I've ever written too, because I kept. I kept trying. It's like things. I gotta add more lines. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't say this in this few words. Yeah. Of uh, what about uh, your influences um, as far as poetry? Who are some of your favorites to yeah. read? Oh man. Jeez. Um, as far as like for any for anyone that's ever looking for suggestions. 
one of my favorite poets is Lucille Clifton. Um, and she, she died recently, too. She died in, um, in 2010. Uh, but Lucille Clifton could, like... Everything she writes is just such a gem. Um, if you want just a good book, like the complete poems of Lucille Clifton, it's like this thick 800-page book, but you could open it anywhere and read anything, and you'd be like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like It's great to like just pick up and put down. Yeah, um, put it on the coffee table, right? Yeah, exactly, just flip through it if you're bored. But, uh, yeah, she's she's a big one for me. And then um, really the one of the first poets who taught me to kind of embrace the oddity of being Southern was uh, C.D. Wright. Okay. She's a, she's so cool. She's such a great writer. She was uh, She's from Arkansas in the Ozarks, but all of her writing is very, like, it's, it's Southern in a way that's not cliche or, you know, trying too hard to be Southern. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, she wrote some incredible stuff. I think I heard some of the influence there. <laughs> yeah, she's she's big to me, man. Um, gosh, there's so much too. Like so many of my so many writers that are you know living and breathing and writing great work. Eduardo Corral's a big one too. Um, just because I have I have like I identify as Latino and I have tons of Latinos in my family, and he's one of the the first poets I encountered that was writing in English and Spanish. Mm-hmm. And like when I, you know, when I read him, I was like, I didn't know you, we were allowed to do that. So, yeah. <laughs> so Change reading, the game. Yeah. So reading that that multi languageness, and like realizing like, you know, if this is the way I talk and if this is the way I think, I can write this way. Mm-hmm. Like the, I'm not breaking rules. I'm not. Yeah. I mean, there's I could go on like listing way too many people, but yeah. there's, there's a lot of great ones out there. There's so many good writers. Yeah, I like that. I like what you said. Um, you know, just owning the fact that you are from the south yeah 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 man that's something that uh you know with the podcast i i try to uh, to do like I'm, I'm proud to be um you know born and raised in alabama and i'm i'm proud that i i work sure and have so many friends and like people mm-hmm. that i interact with in mississippi yeah and we like in so many cool ways we complicate what it means to be a southerner yeah like you know, I've gone, I've given readings in like Portland and St. Louis, and like any reading I've given that's not explicitly in Mississippi. When people talk to me, they're like, "You don't sound like you're from Mississippi." Yeah. And I always want to be like, "Please give me your best impression of yeah. what I should sound like." But I know it'd be embarrassing to hear them try it. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah. like, but you know, there's, there's so there's it's complicated being a Southerner because we're full of joy and we're full of these great experiences that we have and we have this crazy past that has so much to do with the present and then but we're here and we're living our life and there's a there's a lot to being a southerner like in the 21st century especially being a creative yeah for sure and trying to own it Mm -hmm. and not not abandon those those values because i I find the values uh to be uh worth talking about whether it's a lament for sure or whether it's something that this is a hill I will stand on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I wish I could remember who said it, but someone, it may have been Tennessee Williams, who said, like, to to live in Mississippi is to be incredibly comfortable with everything decaying around you. And, you know, like he said it partly as a joke to, you know, make a few laughs because he, he lived all over the country. You know, mm-hmm. he may have said that in New York at a cocktail party. But he spoke a lot of truth, too, in that, like, we are constantly just 
observing every you know the landscape the old architecture dilapidating around us yeah and that's just part of our daily landscape mm-hmm. uh, just to give you an example man i was uh the last podcast i done i was in the philadelphia area and i hadn't been there since i was a child i went to yeah. the geyser falls the water park mm-hmm. you know one time and uh i didn't remember a whole lot about the drive and i didn't I didn't think a lot about like the culture and the the landscape and the architecture, and so you're just driving through mm-hmm. Sugarlock and Preston, and like just seeing Man, it's yeah. it's almost like time forgot it. Yeah, for sure, and and even like human history, like before that, Mississippi is so incredible with like you know the Black Prairie, where you can dig an inch into the topsoil and pull out a whale vertebra. Yeah, like. <laughs> yeah. Just realizing, like, okay, before this was Mississippi, before this was a giant forest, this was a giant ocean. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't get it right. It's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's a lot that's, like, not just our physical landscape, but our spiritual landscape, our ideal landscape. Like, I think we as Southerners are constantly having to reckon with, like, artifacts of the past and how do we... How do we interact in the present and how do we be people that are, you know, aware of our humanity and other people's humanity and all of that mm-hmm. and not be complete nut jobs? Absolutely. <laughs> how do we not lose our minds here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think with, with COVID and like, it's been a, it's been a totally different experience with, uh, you know, somewhat of a lockdown mm-hmm. uh, that we've, like I, I told you earlier before we started recording, you know, life for me didn't change a lot. I still go to work. You know, I didn't yeah. have, I, I didn't, I was never really locked down, but uh, things that I would usually go and enjoy when I get off work is not sure. available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's just me kind of piddling in my thumbs at the house, and now I'm writing more, and now I'm yeah. thinking more, and Sweet. I'm also reading other people's work, and I'm, I'm just trying to <laughs> figure this stuff out for myself. And like, what a time to be able to just sit back and be like, "Yeah, what do I, you know, what, what do I, what do I believe? What, what are the values? Is there anything that I need to test? Is there anything that yeah, I need to change?" For sure, and that's like, you know, I love, I love it, like having any level of conversation, just because I have this like, admittedly insane idea that I'm still trying to figure out. You know, like even the most basic ideas of my identity and what I feel and what I think. So, like, you know, I, I'm a librarian, uh, career-wise, mm-hmm. and li- librarians work a lot with community. So, uh, even though I'm still going to work, I'm going to work in an empty building. So, like, I've I've got a lot more time for like self-reflection, mm-hmm. which is terrifying and enlightening. <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, just the ability to to sit down and say like without all of our systems of uh, entertainment or um, relaxation or anything that make me not think, like, now that I'm thinking, what do I think about? Yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's been something. Um, I, I never was really allowed to watch a whole lot of television growing up, and, like, now um, my television in my bedroom doesn't work anymore. It's just kind of there. I just haven't yeah. eroded it. And so, like, losing that was one of the the greatest things that could happen because, you know, it's a challenge. Because like, when I turn the TV on, it's almost like turning the brain off for me. Yeah, for sure. Same here. 
And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy TV shows. Like, I like watching The Office if I want to kick or, you know, like, we, could, sure. we could list shows that we enjoy <laughs> uh, just for, you know, the value of entertainment it provides. Mm. But yeah. um, I've got things and projects that I want to do, and I know if I keep that TV on, I'll never get to it. Yeah. I think um, we're, we're so sedated so easily, too. Yeah. That, you know, it's, it's scary because we we're not very active consumers like we want to take in all kinds of content like we want to you know we want to listen to an audiobook we want to watch a tv show and then we it gets easier and easier to do those things without having to do anything mm-hmm. so like our our degree of passiveness in our consuming it it's getting weird <laughs> it, it really is yeah it really is um just moving on, I wanted to. Uh, there's a pre-order going on right now. You've got a new oh, yeah, work yeah, yeah. coming out. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so that's um. That's a really strange book full of poems that a lot of um, a lot of people who read my writing have no grounding for. Um, the title of it is Forty Stitches Sewing a Body Against a Ramshackle Night," um, because the the poems are just these very small three-line poems. Um, very similar to like a haiku, mm-hmm. but I, I can't call them a haiku because turns out the haiku community is very um, astute to what they think a haiku is. Fair so enough. if you call it a haiku, there'll be a semi-large collection of individuals to be like, no, it's not. So I, I started calling them stitches, and I never had published those poems any like in any literary journals or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I never really thought about them beyond writing them. Like, I I write those little three-line poems constantly. I have journals and journals of them, and I think um, I showed them to a really good friend of mine, uh, Beth Gordon, who is a fantastic poet and a great writer and a great editor. Um, but she's working with a, with a press right now, and I showed her some of them, and she was like, how many of these do you have? And I told her several hundred. Yeah. Um, and then she she was the one that really uh, challenged me to say like you know think about these in the context of their own book and see like how you could construct them and what their order would be and I I took those several hundred and like whittled them down to forty mm-hmm. that I thought like you know there's some there's something happening between them that kind of tells a, a story in a weird way and then I, I it it took a lot to like send her the manuscript too just because like I I myself am still seeing it as a book in a lot of ways um so it'll it'll be interesting when it's out in the world and people are reading it and trying to understand like what it is or what it's doing yeah yeah yeah. it's the craziest thing to me is uh I want to I want to I want to have that one day um podcast granted but like yeah you know for everything happened for ACL blew out and everything going on I was preparing to make an album oh sweet and um, you know I, I was so pumped about it and then the finances kind of dried up on that and I also turned my attention to uh, musicians who were just kind of having to take this because mm-hmm. their work is music and they're not able to play yeah because you can't there's no public there's no like right venues really and so, so what can I do yeah. to not just give them money, but what yeah. are ways that I can that I can provide to yeah, yeah. here? Let me let me compensate right, so you for this work. To a- amplify their yeah. their presence, yeah. 
Yeah, in just different ways, and so that's where my attention's gone. Is like focusing on that, and plus it lends lends itself to me as like, well, those mm-hmm. ten songs or whatever the number will be yeah, yeah. that you thought you wanted to record. Let's reflect on them some more. Let's think about it. Yeah, Could they sure. be better? Yeah, yeah, and not like I feel that in so many ways too, because I really don't. Um, I don't write as continuously as a lot of my friends who are mm-hmm. writers. Um, I, I have a very small window of like creative productivity you know i'll i'll write a lot for about two months and then i'll just get to a point where i just very naturally stop and then i it used to frustrate me because i would be like you know like why can't i write right now and now i've kind of learned to embrace it because it's healthy to say like okay you know i just wrote a lot for two months Mm -hmm. you know let me let me take in let me read let me so you know then i have like six months where i'm just reading and i'm you know i'm posting everyone's work that I'm reading online and trying to share them and mm-hmm. say like you know like hey I just found this writer and they're fantastic like yeah, yeah, look the, up their I mean, stuff <laughs> to, pl- to plug your Instagram I mean that's sure. constantly what I see and it's yeah, like yeah. we have a we have a poem here yeah and it's it's a good work for sure yeah there's and so it's, much it's worth sharing and that, and like that's such a comfort too because you know I feel like I don't have to be writing all the time mm-hmm. there's so many great writers out there doing amazing work that are just like saving the world with their ideas you know to a degree and so it's nice to like think I don't have to be writing like I could let me just share this because this is amazing yeah so it would be like uh, the output has kind of hit its limit I need to I need to take some I need some input now yeah and it it took me like probably four years before I got comfortable with that because I used to be so frustrated when I couldn't write mm-hmm. and I was a pain to be around anyone <laughs> but uh, once I figured out that it's kind of my natural rhythm to you know have a small moment where I'm writing a lot and then the rest I'm just soaking in mm-hmm. once I embrace that I'm just like happier all around <laughs> yeah yeah, just accept it for what it is at that time. Yeah, right? You'll like know it. when it's time to pick the pen back up. Yeah, yeah. Like when I when I feel it, I feel it, and then, then it's time to get to work and do a lot of editing, do a lot of making drafts, and yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. just from going to the stitches to, you know, the, the poem that you just read, which was your longest work. Yeah, one of them for yeah. sure. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. like, the variation of your work is. Um, what about rhyming, man? This is this oh, is something man. that. Like, I don't like rhyming. I don't feel like I, I, I have to rhyme. So, I don't either. Like, I don't... I'm not good at rhyming. I know writers that are incredible at it. Mm-hmm. And when they pull it off, it feels good. Like, when you read it and it's... Like, you you hear it and it's clever and you didn't expect it. Like, I, I admire people that can rhyme. Like, in writing and in poetry and songs. Mm-hmm. If you can... If, you, if they can do it and it's, like, not cliche and it's... You know, you know it when it's right. Yeah, sometimes like, because that's what it feels like with me a lot of times. It's like this is just cliche. I'm just doing it to do it. Yeah. Room and broom. Yeah. Good line, buddy. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I. I think like when I when I first started writing, I was writing a lot of rhyme, just because that's what I was reading. Yeah. You know, like I, when you start writing, you start with kind of the classics. So you read like you know John Keats and William Wordsworth and Emily Dickinson. So. You know, you read a lot of the poets who are right, who are rhyming, and then you you kind of imitate, not knowing it. But uh, the more I kind of settled into my voice, the more I realized I'm not a rhyming poet by any means. Um, and there's no better wake up call than realizing there's so many writers out there that are rhyming 
way better than you ever could, so just let them do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of finding your way, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so with uh, with the stitches and then with these, um, what about, like, I guess other works and, like, maybe things that you're considering publishing later? Is it yeah, yeah. Is the different variations? They're For just sure. Different steps, different, different ways, different... Yeah, I, I don't guess I really know how to put it. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of different, um, like in, in the poetry world, it's called form. There's a lot of different forms. Um, and I, I'm a, I'm very restless, I think, in how I try to write. So I, I like to push form. I like to, to try and see how different things feel. And if it, if it feels awful and it doesn't make good work for me, then I won't persist at it. Mm-hmm. If it feels like, you know, like oh this is I've never I've never tried writing in this way and that I'm getting to discover things about myself that I this is new and I want to keep trying it then yeah then I'll do that so um, I'm kind of like back and forth a lot because I, I get called a um, like a formalist a lot which is a, a poet that writes in very strict form so mm-hmm. th- and that's because like I write a lot of sonnets you know the fourteen line um, kind of English style poems but I, I also get called like an experimental writer a lot too because I you know I, I do a lot of the free verse and just trying anything because mm-hmm. because I'm I, I think of like re- restlessness as a as a form of ambition so I, I'm very comfortable being restless in what I'm trying to do yeah yeah absolutely and that's crazy like being called like those are two op- opposite spectrum things to be called yeah for sure <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> And then it, you know, it comes back to what box are you going to put yourself in, or what box are you going to let yourself be put in? Because you know, for a while, going back to, you know, I was trying to shake that southern. Like I wasn't, I didn't want to be considered southern, mm-hmm. because to me that had connotations of mm-hmm. talking a certain way or writing a certain way. And now I realize that none of that matters. Like I'm southern by virtue of where I live and who I am and who I have been. Mm-hmm. So I'm a southern writer, but. That doesn't mean that I have to keep myself in that very constrictive box that is completely imaginary and consists of limits that we place on ourselves that aren't real. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, CT, um, you want to read another one for us? Yeah, this is um, this is a poem that is uh, about about my mom and dedicated to her because uh, yesterday was actually her birthday, August 4th. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so this is... Uh, portrait of the Dalmatian that bit my mother because someone forgot to lock that fence because of all the shapes I came in the shape of rage because I carry July in my skin because every pair of hands handles me violently because my mouth is most my beastliness because Grendel must have also hated chains must have also howled at the tall silhouettes Because the birds looked the other way, but weren't troubled enough to flee. Because the thigh was pincushion soft, and seemed defenseless as an abandoned beehive. Because I didn't think her hands could hold so much survival. Because her son was nearby. Because no, dumb dog, I'll kill you if you don't get away from my child. Because he is still tender. Because the antonym of bite is kiss, and she kisses him every day. Because breaking the skin of a mother only means putting your mouth to a muscle that tightens a universe of danger. 
into a single soon to snap harp string. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> I love the imagery, man. You mentioned Grendel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That's interesting. And then like uh the last lines with the antonym of bite being kiss. For sure. And that that uh that goes back to just trying to write towards vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm a little bit self-conscious of when I write about people or subjects. Um, I have a lot of authority there over whatever I'm writing about. Mm-hmm. And I, the way for me to kind of even the land is to, to be more vulnerable and to say like, you know, I'm I'm taking you apart in this moment, but I hope that you can see that I'm also taking myself apart for it. So, you know, to kind of have a relationship that's healthy within the space of the poem and to not, uh, like for lack of a better word, objectify whatever I'm writing about or whoever I'm writing about. Right. And yeah. so the, the first poem that you shared was your father and now your mother. And so mm-hmm. to... I mean, those are incredibly close people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and to, to write like that. <laughs> Man, it's like, when you're writing about your family, too, and then, like, there's so much joy when an editor calls you and says, like, oh, man, we love this, we're going to publish it. And you have that moment of, like, yeah, and then you realize, like, it's about uh, my dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's going to read that. <laughs> yeah. Along with a lot of strangers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of people are going to read this and uh, <laughs> see how I feel and think. Right. Yeah. Cool, man. Um, let's 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 uh, let's spend a little time right there before we walk out. Um, yeah. Just about the vulnerability uh, that that has to take an awful awful lot. Especially, I mean, you brought up how self conscious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think about like go back to Iron and Wine. Yeah. Uh, some of some of he owns some of my favorite songs. <laughs> Like, I'm a huge Sam Bean fan. Great songwriter. And, like, I think about the vulnerability that he gives. Like, I was like, I don't know if I would ever be that brave. Because it's a certain sense of bravery. Yeah. And it also goes back to that virtue of owning who you are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that that level of vulnerability is unique to art. Like, um, I think that you know like music poetry uh ballet i mean dancing any so many like thought yeah any art, creative right art, it gives us permission to be more vulnerable like i don't necessarily want a politician to get on stage and be completely open about his private life like there's a lot of vulnerability that we don't want because it crosses a lot of boundaries that mm. you know we need to keep people in their place in our minds but it, you know like art we we give ourselves more permission to to take that vulnerable step, and it is uh, anxiety-inducing to you know publish poems that other people will read. It used to be even more anxiety-inducing to read them in front of people, like in front of strangers. Yeah. But uh, no, it's 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 totally worth it though. Like that that level of you know. I think when you're being that vulnerable, you're not just discovering something about the world, but you're you're discovering something about yourself. You know, you're you're seeing a part of yourself that you've arrived at and you've never had the opportunity to understand this part of yourself, to like love that part of yourself, like. Uh, and to a, be honest with yourself. Yeah, for sure. 
yeah. absolutely man uh, I know just over time as you wrote it had to uh, I, it was this way with me it's still this way with me is uh, I struggle with um, after I've written something down and after I read it a few days has gone by it's mm-hmm. like I want to ball it up and throw it away uh, because the honesty of it was like I don't know if I want to share that with anybody yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I've written a lot that I don't think I'll ever publish because, you know, I think we we can write for a lot of different reasons, and I've written a lot to say this is just for me. Yeah. This was a very private moment for me to discover. And then, you know, I've also written a lot where I said, like, I'm never showing that to anyone, and then I come around to it. Yeah. <laughs> or like a, you know, like, you send, like, your, your drafts to your friends who are writers, and they, you know, they tell you, like, no, there's something here that you should yeah. you should really consider rewriting it and trying to share it what do you uh, like I'm sure people send you things oh yeah yeah man I love it too uh, what like how critical uh, how careful are you with like critique I think it depends on like my relationship to that writer um, it depends on like their how much it took for them to send it to me too like because I've I've got a lot of like great friendships with a lot of writers who, you know, we know when we send each other writing, like, tell me if this is bad or not. Because I've, you know, I've written something and I think it's great, and I send it to someone, mm-hmm. and they're like, never show this to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> this will end that your hurts, career. That hurts, but thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but, like, so with, with a lot of writers, you know, we send stuff back and forth pretty regularly, and, you know, we read it. I always like to, like, first enjoy it. Just think of it as a gift. You know, this person sent this to me, and... I have the opportunity to like sit with it and let it help me in some way, and then you know, then start to take it a little bit more critically and like, have you considered this? Have you considered this? Reminds me a lot of like this situation and trying to help them in not strictly like I don't like this word, throw it out, but more associatively, I think. Mm-hmm. But then like uh, on the complete opposite end of that. You know, um, lately a lot of, like, kids have been contacting me on social media, like, a lot of high schoolers, to be like, hey, you're, like, my, you know, it's it's really weird, but, like, you know, people will message me and say, like, oh, you're one of my favorite writers, and I, you know, I wrote this poem, and it's inspired by, by something I read of yours, and they'll send it to me, and then I, I don't use that as an opportunity to critique it, I'm just like, thank you for this, like, yeah. this is beautiful, and... I hope you keep writing because this is awesome. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, I could only imagine, like, you know, someone to write like that and be like, "You influence this." Mm. Well, who am I to say it's good or bad? Because yeah. look how young you are. Yeah, yeah. You're trying, and, and you know, that took a lot for sure. Yeah, and and then to reach out to someone that you admire <laughs> to yeah. a stranger, yeah. essentially, and say, "Here's this poem I wrote." Like, I wouldn't. When I was just learning to write, I didn't do that with anyone I looked up to, because um, I'd be mortified to approach them. But uh, so I, I admire that level of like, <laughs> I love you. Check out this. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like whoa. <laughs> if you don't mind, please take the time. You know? Right. And it, yeah. No. It's it's cool though. I've never I've never been thrown off by that. Anytime. I'm happy to read stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, man. Uh, I don't. Do you have anything else to add or subtract? I I don't. I'm 
I'm all right. I would like to plug uh, Three Sisters. If oh, for we sure. Could, we yeah. can talk about that for a second. Of course. That is my, that's my wife's business, and uh, I met her in that store. I loved the store before I knew that I would love her. Mm-hmm. And then I got to know her, and I loved her even more than the store itself. And Yeah. That store got me through a master's degree because I was able to go in there every night and study till 10 p.m. because it was the only thing in Columbus open that late. Yeah. With Wi-Fi. Um, so, yeah. That was, <laughs> it's, a, it's a special place. Like, it's a place for a lot of people who... Uh, don't belong to a lot of, you know, belong to all kinds of different social groups. A lot of people can come in there and just be at home. Yeah. So I've always respected that about it. Like, one of my favorite things is, you know, like, pre-COVID on a Saturday night, you could walk in there and there's, like, a table of a Mennonite family that are all there on dates. And then there's, like, a table of these very punk rock teenagers right next to them. Yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, everyone's enjoying the space. Everyone is respecting each other. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a cool thing that... Phenomenons there. Yeah, just, I mean, Rachel is incredible when it comes to, like, thinking about not just one individual community, but, like, how do I accommodate the entire community that is living in this one very strange little city? (laughs) Yeah, because there's so many melting pots, if you want to call it that. We've got so much to offer. For sure. So yeah. many different ways of thinking, so many different <laughs> cultural ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. And just the fact that so many different walks of life feel comfortable there, like, mm-hmm. that's something that only she, I think, uniquely could achieve. Like, I don't, I couldn't do what she does. Um, so I I don't know anyone else that can, even though there's, there's tons of great business owners in Columbus, but I think she's doing something very unique with strictly, like, community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so right now with COVID, they're uh, order out only as far as that, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, she's been very, like, based on numbers, like how, what is the safest thing that we can do? So right now, um, you can only order, like, full-size pies or um, pints of pimento cheese, which is the bomb. <laughs> God, I love that pimento cheese. <laughs> and pints of uh, chicken salad. Um, you know... Those aren't hard rules because as numbers go down, she may start doing different types of curbside, but it's just week to week right now, you know? Absolutely. Well, man, uh, I'd love for you to read one or two more with us before we part ways. Yeah, dude, I'd be happy to. Uh, Let's see. And thank you again, man. This is the most unique thing we've done on the show. Man, I'm happy to. Not going to be playing any music on this. It's it's, it's just poetry. (laughs) I, I, I was excited with that. There's. I'm happy to to be the poet too because there's so many good ones, man, and all of them would have given you the best conversations. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's there'll never be a shortage of poets, and that's terrifying and very lovely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so this poem is um, it's from a series of poems, and you know, since we were just talking about my wife, my my wife very much inspired these writings. Um, all of these poems are either in the voice of or about Noah's wife, mm-hmm. who is uh, in the in the book of Genesis, she's never named. Right. So we, we only know her as Noah's nameless wife. Yeah, we only know her, her origin, where she came right, from. Right, right, right. Yeah. And um, a lot of, just because, like, my wife is so uniquely headstrong as a, as a person, um, and then being married to her, 
like marriage is one of the few things where you can get so close to a person to see their perspective and then just seeing like how how she deals day to day with her like with being a woman as the first marker of her identity like before anyone knows anything about her sees her meets her talks to her they know she's a woman Mm-hmm. And like how that automatically sets just an immediate kind of tone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are, uh, so this is one of those poems. Noah's nameless wife takes inventory. Horse heart, hyena heart, swan spine, silver fish shining in black water. Yes, timber wolf tooth. Yes, pity the ark with its belly full of glowing tongues. Touch the lion's paw only while it sleeps. The red-tailed hawk with jewels for eyes swallows the field mouse, and the mouse was the only proof the field existed. What else will be forgotten? The hawk will starve soon. We will starve soon. The dogs will howl like a god, learning the word for light, and nothing will howl back. Yeah, so that's just trying to explore the fear of realizing... There's a strong chance that everything we are will be forgotten one day, even our names, like Noah's wife. Yeah. <laughs> so. It wasn't even worth mentioning, I suppose, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy, like Old Testament, like you, you, uh-huh. genealogies and things. Like Ruth is one of the only phenomenons that happens yeah. where she's actually mentioned in genealogies. For sure. And because Hagar, in, too. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Jewish history is like uh-huh. you, you talk the male. You don't, you don't talk about the female. Right. Yeah, that, and there's, you know, I, I love, you know, writing those poems just really helped me, like, explore that idea of, like, so much of what you are just because of what you are can be deemed so unimportant in the future <laughs> or it, in the present. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Every time. And uh, this is the last one I'll read for you, man. Sure. This, um I like writing um, self-portraits, like kind of how painters paint self-portraits. But I, I like writing very wacky, um, not accurate self-portraits. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is self-portrait as headless John the Baptist hitchhiking. God makes more sense this way. When blood flows from the neck, the body looks like an uncorked bottle, but maybe this leaves more room for salvation. The less of me, the less of sin. You said I was temptation, the way my eyes looked pure as pine in a window of white, but Steele called me a saint when I changed your flat tire. You're right. Holiness is in the hands, even if it's always the head that gets haloed. I said I wanted to worship something, even if it's just the black beetles in your yard crawling around hurriedly like pieces of a star trying to reassemble itself. In your apartment, we danced like we knew each other. You rubbed your hands against my neck and shoulder as if you were shaping me out of a blackberry vine. I said the dogmouth dark carried me here and laid me in your bed. I said lamb and felt myself become gospel in your hands. That's heavy. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I, I'm, I'm, I love the uh, the mentions, like I said, I, but I'm a I'm a fan of the Bible. So like when you yeah, make, yeah. when you make mention of these things, it's like I'm I'm immediately in tune and thinking yeah, that right. way, you know. And that's like, we share that as a southern like as southerners, like yeah, our language, like half of our language is the King James Bible, like so yeah, 
but when I when I write in this way, to non-Southerners, it's fun to read these things, and they're like, where does this come from? Yeah. And it's like, this is just childhood with the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> like, this yeah. is all it is. <laughs> and as I got older, I thought about these stories, and this is just kind of what comes out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, man. CT, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for sharing some of your work with us. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. Yeah, Yeah, it was fun. It was a blast. Cool. (laughs) Well, we're out of here. Sweet. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.